is a Kansas Memory, a Kansas State Historical Society podcast featuring glimpses of Kansas history from documents in the library and archives collections. Julia Louisa Lovejoy was the wife of a Methodist Episcopal minister, deeply religious, and an ardent abolitionist. Julia, with her husband Charles, and their two daughters, Juliet, 15, and Edith, 5, left for Kansas Territory in early March 1855 under the auspices of the New England Immigrant Aid Company. It's unclear whether their son, Charles Julius, 17, traveled with them or joined them in Kansas City. Julia was pregnant during the trip with their second son, Irving, who was born September 17, 1855. Excerpts from the diary she kept on the journey give an unrelenting account of the hardships her family and many travelers of that time endured. Kansas City, Missouri, March 18, 1855. We left Lebanon, New Hampshire, the old paternal home, the 6th of March, 1855. Oh, the tears and heart agony as we tore ourselves away from those aged parents who gave us birth and those brothers and sisters so dear to our hearts. We wept until we reached White River Junction at Hartford, Vermont, where Brother Daniel, who accompanied us there, left us and we took the cars. Had a pleasant journey from there to Alton, Illinois, in the cars, and thence up the Missouri River by steamboat, the Kate Sweeney. Captain Choteau, the owner and captain of the boat, treated his passengers in princely style, and permitted us to have divine worship on board. Everything seems new and strange to us from dear old New England, the farther we journey towards the sunny south. We landed here at Kansas City Sunday morning. What a desolate place! Kansas City, March 28th. Mr. Lovejoy left immediately with Charles Julius for the territory, leaving I and Juliet and Edith to board at the American Hotel in this place till he could find him a claim and erect a cabin on it for our accommodation. The landlord gives me two dollars per week for serving, besides boarding me and Edith. Juliet has a dollar fifty per week and her board for waiting on the table. It is very sickly here in this hotel and in the town. Many cases of death. Pneumonia seems to be the prevailing sickness. Our food is miserably cooked, so much so at times it produces a nauseating effect on approaching the tables. Hundreds are arriving here weekly for the territory. The Sabbath is greatly desecrated here and religion is at a very low ebb. April 3rd. All three of us are sick and I know we cannot live in this unhealthy atmosphere. Deaths almost daily here. Sadness and discontent sit on the brow of every fresh arrival of emigrants, and scores come back here after wandering about in the territory and spending, in the number of cases, nearly or quite all their means, and take the boat for the return trip to St. Louis for New England again. I must find a private house if we can, by going about town, and hire our board if possible till I can send an express for Mr. Lovejoy, who is at the junction of the Big Blue and Kansas Rivers, as he writes me, and he and his New England company have laid out a town at that spot. They had an excessively hard journey there and suffered with cold and snow, an occurrence not common, I am told, in this region. Oh, how my sick, lone heart at this time sighs for home, where our children may be comfortable again. What can I do with but little money, and everything here so expensive? The price for miserable board here is a dollar and a dollar fifty per day. This is wrong. Money is so scarce. 
I have never seen so much suffering in so short a time as since I have been here. Oh, how many have left for the territory who will there find a grave. After the family's arrival, Charles Lovejoy left his wife and children in Kansas City, where he thought they would be safe, while he filed a land claim and built a home for them. But the living conditions for immigrants were so bad that Julia felt compelled to take the children and go in search of him. April 25th. We are now stopping with a half-breed Indian woman, French Catholic, whose husband lives near the spot where the boat grounded. Juliet is better, though very feeble. Edith is very sick with measles, but patient as a lamb. I have nothing to render her comfortable in her sickness, and neither suitable food nor other necessaries for any of us. I have watched Edith day and night and wept and prayed by her bedside, the most of the time until it seems as though nature can sustain but little more. And if I fail before Mr. Lovejoy arrives, what will become of my children in this condition? I have sent an express for Mr. Lovejoy and hope he is on his way to find us. April 28th. I can stop here no longer. My little angel Edith groans terribly at night. She is in such pain in her head. And as there is but one room in the log cabin where we are, this woman took her bed and dragged it out on the porch to sleep, for she said she would not sleep in the house where the child groaned so. I have hired this man for $30 to carry us to the Big Blue if we do not meet Mr. Lovejoy on the way. Edith is very feeble, though the measles have disappeared, and we start this day with heavy hearts. God alone, to whom we commit ourselves, knoweth the burden upon my spirit. That man with whom I greed has put a drunken, rowdy teamster in his stead to drive our team, and the horses will not draw the load, and I fear Edith will not live to reach Lawrence. The carriage is very hard to ride in and jolts and jars us badly. What shall I do? No human being that we ever saw before to show us any sympathy. The first night on our journey, an awful thunderstorm overtook us, and we leaped from the baggage wagon with Edith in our arms, as the awful peals of thunder were rending the heavens and the rain falling in torrents, and took shelter with a family consisting of a young man, his wife, and babe by the name of Johnson, a few miles beyond Westport, Missouri. They were slaveholders, but we were cordially received and freely and kindly entertained. May heaven reward them for their hospitality to a wayfaring pilgrim whose heart was well-nigh bursting from accumulating anguish. That night, the miserable teamster crawled into our carriage and stole the eatables and necessaries I had purchased at Kansas City for our journey and smashed the glass that Mr. Lovejoy had written me to purchase for our little cabin. We could have no redress for our grievances, only to bear them patiently. What we suffered this day, no tongue can describe. The roads were almost impassable. The horses would not draw but a few rods at a time. The driver uttered horrid oaths. The road was full of men and their teams, strangers all, and bound for the territory. At night, we stopped at a half-breed Indian house, and my little Edith must have her little pallet spread on the floor, though she begged for a bed. Her head ached so bad, she said. There were two beds in the only room in the log cabin. In one slept the Indian and his squaw. In the other, in every conceivable position, were stowed, I think, five squaws, and on the floor stretched two men, travelers. On this floor I sat, 
weeping and praying the whole night. Julia's story ends grimly, for Edith dies almost as soon as they rejoin Charles in Lawrence. The next day, May the 5th, we buried her dear little body at Lawrence with many tears. This is our first great sorrow, and the billows have quite gone over our soul. I am now about six months advanced in pregnancy, and why I live is more than I can tell. Julia and her family were some of the founders of Boston, Kansas Territory, which was later renamed Manhattan. The oldest daughter, Juliette, married in Manhattan in 1856, but died only four years later. Julia ran a one-woman propaganda campaign from her new home, writing inflammatory letters to Eastern newspapers about the conflict between the free state and pro-slavery factions. The couple temporarily left Kansas for Illinois, then returned to Kansas, where Julia died on their farm south of Lawrence, February 6, 1882. This has been a Kansas Memory, a Kansas State Historical Society podcast. The documents used in this podcast are part of Territorial Kansas Online, a virtual repository of primary sources from the bleeding Kansas era. The URL for the website is www.territorialkansasonline.org.